Now, some of us were brought up in Sunday school where we learned choruses, and we used to sing choruses like, 12 spies went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad, 2 were good. What did they see to spy on Canaan? 10 were bad, 2 were good. Some saw giants tough and tall, some saw grapes in clusters form, some saw God was in it all. 10 were, 2 were and if you want the story, it's in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. We're not turning there, so don't panic. That's the background to what I want to say today. And then suddenly we kind of move from that scene. The two goodies were Joshua, well-known Bible character, and another guy called Caleb. And the next time we kind of pick up the big story on Caleb, though he's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 1, is in the book of Joshua. Now they're in the promised land, now they're taking the land, and 45 years have elapsed since this disaster where some just didn't trust God and everything fell apart. And they wandered around in circles for nigh on 40 years in the wilderness. And there's a lot of people like that in life. They're just going round and round and round in circles because they missed the obedience that leads to God's blessing. Well, we pick up the narrative, and we're going to read from Joshua. The uh, uh, Bible version I've got here is uh, it's on page uh, 229, and it's Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, and it's the uh, sixth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So not too far in if you're in another version. And this is the story of Caleb. Now the people, verse 6, of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. So 40 and 45 are? 85. 85. So he's 85 years old? No, he isn't. He's 85 years young. Listen to what he says. Here I am today. You've got the answer. As Israel moved around, I'm 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country, the old King James Version, give me this mountain that the Lord promised me that day. And you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Why? Because he followed the Lord, his God, 
wholeheartedly. Yes, Lord, we bow before you. We're always needy people, and we always depend upon your grace, the riches of your grace in Christ Jesus. So speak indeed, Lord. We, your servants, and those who hope to be yours, are listening. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to speak to you about the life of Caleb in terms of how to finish well. And I've got three big things to say, but I thought I would start with a graveyard. Because if the Lord tarries, one out of one people die. Have you noticed that? You haven't yet. Well, you will. And it's interesting going around graveyards because you come across some very interesting and fascinating epitaphs. In fact, I sometimes wonder, like that little boy who read them and said to his dad, where do they bury all the bad people? <laughs> sometimes they're humorous. Like here lies the remains of Colonel Farquhar Jones, who was accidentally shot by a discharge from his orderly's pistol. And underneath there was a verse of scripture, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> the one that's been intriguing me, can you see this? It's been, I brought it with me deliberately to show you. All the way from Cayman, I imagine it may have come from a certain couple here. And it was sitting as a coaster just in the church office and folk thought it had come from Africa or somewhere and it was a foreign language because it says, E by gum. And I said, that's from Yorkshire. And they said, really? I said, yeah, it's, it's a well-known Yorkshire. You, you folk from Yorkshire like to put E's in, don't you? <laughs> e by gum. And so the story goes of a guy whose wife had passed away and he wanted on her epitaph, Lord, she was thine. And when he went to check it out, the stonemason had stupidly left the E off the end and it read, Lord, she was thin. <laughs> so he said to the stonemason, hey, lad, he said, you've got, you've got, you've got that, you've left an E off. Oh, he said, I'm sorry, come back tomorrow, it'll all be sorted out. And when he came back the next day, the stonemason thought he'd put it right and it read, E, Lord, she was thin. <laughs> how, how'd you get a good epitaph? How, how'd you finish well? How that little, you know, whatever year you're born, 1933 to 2023, 90 years, how does that little hyphen, that little hyphen in the two figures of our beginning and our end is all that we are. So how do we get a, an epitaph that, that pleases God? There was a, a lovely epitaph, it was, had a double meaning to it, of course, of a Swiss guide to the Alps. And he had an accident and he died. And it simply said of him, he died climbing. And I want to suggest to you that that's what God wants you and me to do. Like Caleb, not literally dying climbing, but dying while you're pressing onward and upward. He died climbing. He died like Caleb did, going higher and onward with God. So how'd you get a great epitaph? Well, here's the first thing. You need to start early, if it's all possible. Caleb is called the son of Jephunneh, and the word Jephunneh in Hebrew means, which means turned around. So 
his dad somehow or other turned around, repented, joined the people of God, and Caleb had an incredible start in life. He was raised in a home where God was honored, where God was not second place, not a runner-up, but number one. Now, my folks are great. They just give you their last halfpenny. But we weren't a church-going family. And although there was a respect for the Almighty, as it were, nobody ever taught us the Bible. They didn't take us to church or whatever. And then I'd come across folk who'd had that background and realized, wow, what a privilege. And they thought, you know, because I had a more dramatic testimony, that that was something really good. When I was a seminary professor, principal, I'd have new students in, in groups of five or six for coffee and tea. And it was always a bit of, you know, fun time as well, be winding them up. But I'd get their little potted stories and somebody would say, well, I used to be an international drugs uh, runner. Uh, I used to rob banks. You know, I've been through three marriages and divorces. And then when I was seven, I became a Christian. <laughs> what? Now, some, some of them were dramatic and they'd been, the, you know, in prison and everything else. But some of those who had those nice testimonies, you know, becoming a Christian young, they felt like a bit embarrassed, like it didn't matter. Tell me, what's better? What's better? To have a car that you never wrap around a lamppost and needs extensive repairs, or not to have the accident? Uh-huh. Not to, some of you are really not sure, are you, <laughs> speed characters? It's good to avoid the accidents. Now, God's grace can reach anybody, no matter what mess they've been in. Wonderful things of God, people, you know, just rescuing people. But it's a great thing when God's grace keeps you from gross and great sin that leaves all sorts of residual damage. So if you come from a Christian background and home, you've had the best of starts in life. Your Christian home wasn't perfect. Your parents weren't perfect. You know that. They know that. But I imagine they prayed for you before you were born. And if you've had a Christian start in life and you've come to Christ early, oh, that is the best start of all. My, my granddaughter, she's 19 now, but driving along one day in a car, she was about five years old, having a chat, and she said, you know, Granddad, I, I think it's time I became a Christian. I said, well, when are you going to become a Christian? She said, well, sometime soon. And I said, well, why not today? And she said, well, when we get home, we'll pray. So I said to her mom, my daughter, hey, Annie wants to... Ask the Lord Jesus to be a savior. So would you like to join us? And little madam said, I just want my granddad to be with me. Okay, so we prayed. And in a simple childlike prayer, she asked Christ to be a savior. I was actually telling that story a few years later, uh, running an evangelistic campaign in Northern Ireland. And a little guy was sitting there, let's call him Sean. And he turned to his, his dad and he said, Hey, Daddy, that little girl, she, you know, she was only five and she became a Christian. And here am I. I I'm already nine. <laughs> and it kind of, you know, there used to be a hymn about years I've spent in vanity and pride. He said, if she was only five and I'm nine, I, I'm more than old enough to become a Christian, aren't I? And I? Which was lovely. So the testimony of a little five-year-old, which I shared, this guy, Sean, became a Christian. Have you started there? Have you had that kind of start in life? If you haven't, and you've missed it, like many of us have missed it, don't despair, but you've got to start somewhere. So if you've had a good Christian home, 
you started early, thank God. And if you're a younger person here this morning or listening in, some of you will be pushing it off if you haven't done so already to university. A friend of mine was speaking to a, uh, a university a while ago, beginning of an academic year and everything else, loads of students, and he said to them, he was a very successful, successful businessman, he said, let me tell you, you're going to be a student here for three years. Approximately, let's call it, he said, a thousand days as a student. He said, what's going to determine what happens to you is not a thousand days. That, what, that, that's not the big thing. What's going to determine how well you do as a student is this. What did you do with your thousand nights? Was it booze, sex, and rock and roll? Or did you find a way to walk with God and to honor him? Because it's the nights that will then scupper your days. Wow. So if you're a younger person, there's things you can do at 16. I was saved when I was 16. Things you can do for Jesus at 16 that it's more difficult at 60. It's just the fact. Start early. Get in the race of faith. But then when we meet Caleb in Numbers 13 and 14, he's already 40 years of age, and he's mature, and he's godly, and he's good. He's a leader. Now, at 39, he was a complete loser. He was doing nothing. And then one day he decided, I want to be an outstanding spiritual gentleman. It doesn't happen like that, actually. You know, no matter how good you are or anything, you've got to, you've got to practice. Being with my, my close friend, uh, Bill Bygros, uh, who's a chaplain and coach at Liverpool. It's all right, I've forgiven him. And they have all these kids coming on through. Brilliant, you know. And some, some kids... They just know they've got the potential to go through it, but they just, don't have the, they just don't have the passion for it. And others maybe fall by the wayside or whatever. But actually, in any sphere of life, even if they're really gifted, if you don't apply yourself, you don't make it. If you want to be a top concert pianist, it's not good playing chopsticks every three days and hoping for the best. It doesn't work like that. And no matter how gifted you are, You've got to keep developing and growing. And when we meet Caleb, he's already an outstanding leader because he tells us, I followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. By the age of 40, he'd been giving God through his youth and his, his early middle years. And I don't know what middle age is these days. Maybe from, you know, when, when you're 20, anybody over 25 is kind of not only middle age, almost the pensioner, aren't they? But, you know, a 35 to 65, whatever, those middle years are potentially your best and most fruitful years because you've got experience. You've been there, seen it, done it, got the T-shirt. And now what's going to happen with Caleb when he's with others? They're seeing all these giants tough and tall. And he, with Joshua, he says, if you read the narrative in Numbers 13 and 14, let's just go for it. Let's just go do it because the Lord's with us. It's my observation as a pastor of about 50 years now. I started when I was about three, you'll understand. <laughs> Joking. But I, it's my observation that our middle years that should be our most productive can be chaotic. And the devil seems to just wring his hands with glee to, to kind of get folk off the the horseback of faith in their middle years to make wrong choices. You know, 
Maybe, maybe you're not married and you're thinking life has passed me by and then you make a stupid mistake, you make a wrong choice. Or you've been married for 20 odd years and, you know, and everything's become a bit humdrum. Oh, it's fish fingers again. It must be Tuesday evening once more. Everything's dull and predictable. You know, the romance has gone and whatever. And you're thinking, maybe, maybe there's more to life than this. And your spiritual life gets a bit humdrum and things are not really moving and, and it doesn't seem to be doing all it's said on the tin, etc. Well, Caleb wasn't part of that. He said, do you know what? I know there are difficulties. Real faith never denies the difficulties. Never says we don't have a problem. He knew there were problems. This was taking the promised land. But although he was aware of the difficulties, he was more than assured of the resources. He said, the Lord's with us. We've sung about it. The Lord God Almighty. When God is on one side and you're on the other, well, you're in big trouble. But when God's on your side and the whole world's against you, one plus God equals what? A majority. That's why Christ died. That's why Christ rose again. To clean up our record and to come into our lives to empower us. The living Christ wants to be in you, in your year, early years, and in those turbulent, tempting, teasing middle years when you can blow it and you begin to reminisce about, well, when I was a lad and, you know, whatever, and when we were young and, 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 and we don't do it that way anymore now. And you know those seven or eight words of a dying church, we've never done it this way before. And you get dying leaders like that too. They're all beset by all the giants, big and strong, and it's all, ooh, and the state of the world. Look, I know the world's in a state. We've prayed for it, rightly so. Here's the almighty God. Here's all the problems in the world, and you can't cope with them, and neither can I. So let's just say, here's all the problems in my world. And I can look at all my problems, and I don't see the Lord, and I start singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Oh, give me some more Prozac. And be grateful for it when you're down, okay? But what do you think happens when the almighty God, the all-sufficient one, the God is enough, comes between yourself and your problems? Well, it's not that they disappear. No, but then you're resourced. You have strength. You have perspective. There are problems that may still be there. Some of them are not. They're dealt with. But others may still be there. You're, you're still trying to find a job. You're still trying to look for a life's partner. You're still trying to find your niche in life. And, a, and the family are driving you nuts. And somebody's sick. And your heart is broken. That doesn't seem to just blow away. But then the Lord is there. And as we discovered from 40-odd years of illness from my wife in the words of an old hymn, you can discover strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That's the deal. And Caleb, he followed the Lord. He gave God his best shot. You've only got one life. When I was a young pastor, I was speaking to a, one of the great preachers of the 20th century. He was visiting our church. He was not far off, 80 years of age. And he was reminiscing long story short but he he talked about how he visited an old pastor who was dying and the old pastor said to him 
Martin, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones, the preacher. Martin, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the old preacher said to me, and he, when he was only a youngster, he said, the old dying man said, Martin, love God with your strength while you've got it. My strength is gone. And then he looked at me and he said, and you do the same, young man. Little Hebrew word used for strength there is whatever you've got over. You know, it's now and again, I'm a lifelong, you know, footy fan of my love for football. If you could play for Everton and England just by sheer passion, I'd have been a world star. I just didn't have the ability. Okay. But I never understand it with footballers or anything saying, you know, some footballers who just kind of go through the motions. They're getting paid maybe 100,000 a week. And, quote, they talk about, well, we need some players who leave everything on the pitch. And I think, I want every player to leave everything on a pitch. Lazy toad, half of us would be on the pitch playing for this guy who's just sort of dancing around and hardly breaking sweat. Give it your best shot. Love God with your strength. How many lives do you want to do that? And Caleb, he had one big shot at it. And he didn't blow it. Have you got into the race of faith? Did you start early? You, know, you missed that bus. Are you in the, the milestone of the middle years? The turbulent middle years? God wants you to keep running. And if you've got off track and things have gone wrong and you think, well, I've really blown it. I am so grateful at the heart of the Christian faith is a message that everybody needs, the world needs, and it's short on it. And that's forgiveness, a new start. What, what, everybody seems to think forgiveness is so easy until something goes wrong. You've got to forgive somebody who's done you down. That's what, the Middle East. Where, is anybody speaking about forgiveness? Wow. And the world is full of unforgiveness. And yet the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is not a simplistic thing. Forgiveness is costly. If you, I, I, I owe you 100 pounds and you forgive me, who pays? Oh, I'm so glad. Anybody give me an offer on this? <laughs> you pay. If you forgive, you pay. You stand the bill. And people think, oh, it's so easy for God to forgive. It is the most difficult thing in the universe because he has to stand the bill. And bearing shame and scoffing rude, in our place condemned, he stood. And he sealed our pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior is Jesus. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. For there was none other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates of heaven. Let us in. In your middle years, don't give up. Keep going. Being a Christian is like Arctic expedition, though I've not done the latter so far. While you can put one foot in front of the other, there's no way out with dignity. If you can put one foot in front of the other, that's all God wants you to do. And one step more. Here, keep going. Be consistent. Live with integrity by the grace of God, day by day. And the final thing I want to say is simply this, as we meet Caleb at last in, in Joshua chapter 14, 
at 85, he's still going for it. Now, look, we, we can't control some things as we get older, can we? You know, my, my, my dear wife, uh, she, she struggled and towards the end, in her 60s, you know, short-term memory loss was kicking in. And she'd laugh about it and we'd laugh with her and keep it light and say, you know, mom's short-term memory's so bad that the good news is she keeps forgetting she's got a problem with it. And we tell her a good joke today and she'd enjoy it again tomorrow. You know, every cloud is a silver lining kind of thing. But we were also aware of the decline. Some of us are fearful of Alzheimer's, dementia, getting a hold of us. Just passed a friend a couple of nights ago. By the way, the reason I've got this tie on is for the first time ever, I went to my old boys association. The school's been shut for 40 years, but there's hundreds of guys still belong to the old boys association of Liverpool Collegiate School. So they gave me a tie because I was hoping to go to dinner and then they invited me to speak. So I ended up on the menu. <laughs> and all these old guys like me, whatever, are there, you know, and that and some of them getting really on. And one of them, a pastor friend I was chatting to, turned up, known in many years, school days. His wife's just beginning to lapse into dementia. I took my 90-year-old cousin by marriage out the other day because his wife, my cousin Flo, just slowly sunk into the sunset with dementia at 86 and other related things. So, so some of us can't can't control that. Meanwhile, another visit I made to one of my favorite uh, long-time girlfriends and second mum. She'll be 100 next May. Still living by herself, still sharp as a tack, razor sharp, scouse sense of humor. You know, she just gets it. Living by herself, look at, at 99 and a half. Well, that, but we don't get a choice on some of that, do we? We don't know how we're gonna be. But other things being equal, while you've got your health and strength, don't, don't, be, don't be kind of stuck with cotton wool all around you or fearful of taking choices. If you belong to Jesus Christ, here's the good news. He has the whole world in his hands and he has you and me in his hands. And he says, I have, John, Revelation 1, I have the keys of death and Hades. These keys will get me into, this is revenge really. I've got my daughter's car I'm driving around here for all those things and pings she's put on mine. This key gets me into my car. There's a key that is going to unlock your leaving this world and it belongs to Jesus, no one else. And you say, well, I don't know how it all works out. Neither do I. But he says, I've got the keys of your destiny. So do you know what that means? You are gonna die on time. Now, some of you feel really miserable about that, don't you? Huh? Well, if you're going to die on time, for goodness sake, for Jesus' sake, make sure you live in time. I know some folk, they died at 35 and nobody noticed, so they were buried at 83. They've been dead for years. Just, how are you under the circumstances? Misery, whatever, doom and gloom. And you're not living, son. Get a life. And Caleb was getting a life for as long as God gave him strength. So whatever you are, don't write yourself off. Sometimes God says, yep, as you get older, you do learn the difference between a house and a home. A house is where you live, and a home is where your family want to put you if you're not careful. <laughs> but even if you end up in a home, that's okay. 
if, if God's in it, because like another friend of mine, a pastor's wife, he passed away, and she, she had multiple sclerosis. She's in a wheelchair, sharp as a tack, and she just wandered all around the, the, the care home she was in, sharing the love of Jesus with people. This was her kind of mission field, and she loved it because they couldn't escape, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, and so all I'm saying to you, as you get older, keep going. You know, keep mobile. Do things that are smart and whatever, you know. Don't just let the old person get into your head. Some folk do that so young. Oh, when I was in my health and strength. And you're thinking, well, you're only 43 now, other things being equal. You know, and just do the best you can with what you've got while you've got it. Because Caleb, three times in this passage, we're told, I followed, he followed the Lord his God wholeheartedly. God wants you to give your heart to Christ and then live wholeheartedly for him, to do your best and commit the rest. It's, a, it's all this wonderful thing about be, being a Christian, starting early, running and continuing to run well, and seeking to burst, as it were, your, your heart as you come to the finishing tape so that in latter days, you're courageous. You can be converted at any, any age. I remember Jack in my church in Bournemouth being converted. He was at 82. And I tell you, that guy just devoured the Bible. He'd read it more by the time he died three or four years later than many Christians in a lifetime. And he just, he just was on fire for Jesus. But he only had four years. Whatever age you are, if you haven't yet entered this faith, the, the race of faith, today is a call for you to come on home to God. And I'm not looking like a Christian. Some years ago, I was uh, speaking in Japan, and uh, I was in Tokyo, and in the Kaya Plaza Hotel, where the committee, the Keswick Convention, you can believe that there's a Keswick up in, well, there's Keswicks all around the world. So here I was at the Keswick in Japan. And I wondered, all these folk were walking around with track suits on, and I was some days too. And I thought, there must be some sports event on, like, you know. Outside the Kaya Plaza Hotel on the Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, the Tokyo Marathon was beginning. There were 26 to 30,000 runners, and loads of them were staying in this lovely hotel outside of which... The, and I'm walking around in my trackies, you know, my trackie like, you know, I'm scouse. So I've got my tracksuit on, although I've been a runner and up to... I, I wasn't training for a marathon. I, I, was, I was there preaching you know, the gospel. And folk would stand in the lift and say, so, you know, you're all ready for this marathon. Because I looked like a marathon runner because I had the clobber on, you know, but it was pseudo. <laughs> I looked like, you know, I might be running, but I wasn't in the race. And you can look like you're running. And folk may assume you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and your master and your friend, but you don't have to be pseudo. You can't con yourself, oh God, ultimately. You need Christ in your life. And that's the deal of salvation. Whatever age you are, a little child of seven or even three or four can enter into heaven through Christ the open door. But there was a dying thief who said, ah, no, thanks very much, Jesus. All that stuff you can keep. <laughs> I'd rather die in my unbelief. And one dying thief said, Lord, remember me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So here's a guy who ends up with a, a great epitaph. Even in his latter days, 
he's pressing on and pressing forward with God because he loves the Lord his God. Here's a conclusion. Around the 2nd, 3rd of May 1953, six minutes outside of Dum Dum Airport, a Comet jet had taken off and it was carrying the then home director of what we now call the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, the China Inland Mission, uh, a guy Fred Mitchell from Bradford and a great man of God. And six minutes out, this comet just disappeared. It never found, I don't think, the remains of it. And yet the last word that came from that comet jet, when they, from the black, uh, they did at least find the black box and what they could record in those days was simply this, climbing on track. We started with a guy who died climbing. He died climbing. And Fred Mitchell was on a plane which was climbing on track. And God wants you, through all the changing scenes of life in trouble and in joy, to climb on track with him. Start early. Keep going. Don't quit till quitting time comes. And by the grace of God, you'll, great, uh, you'll get a great epitaph. And folk will speak not only well of you, but all heaven's applause await you. Go for it. One life soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do you remember, I don't know if they still do it because I've been out the UK for a while, but I do remember this, and with this we close. You know, you ladies, L'Oreal. Do you remember the advert? L'Oreal, you know, pay a king's ransom for it. L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Well, get over yourself. I don't know about that, but I know the Lord Jesus is worth it, and he's worthy of your trust and obedience and following him. Well, God bless you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being able to be with these lovely people here this afternoon. You've given up their time and, and an odd time for many folk who would think 4.15 in an afternoon, but here we are before you, the true and the living God, who at immense cost has come to redeem people like us. And we thank you that you call us into your forever family. You, you cleanse us, you forgive us, you put your life within us by your Holy Spirit. And as we bow before you, where our youth has been wasted, where our middle years have been anything but consistent, and where our latter days seem a real challenge. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus to cleanse us and forgive us and to get us going again. And Lord, for those of us who are so fearful that life has just passed us by, birth in us that note of hope from that great prophet Joel, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Lord, let them not eat any more. Save our youth, save our middle years, Save our latter days that we may climb on track with you till the race is run and the day is done 
and we see you in glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.